Nerds International proudly presents What you are currently listening to is bonus content and it will not affect the scheduling of your regular tabletop twats episodes. So please sit back and enjoy. Welcome one and all to this bonus content. Today we have with us two very special guests. Uh, the first, of course, is going to be Nick Lamley. <laughs> Woo! Welcome, Nick. <laughs> wow. Didn't see that coming. Um, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, that's all right, man. It's good to have you here. Um, introduce yourself. No, I'm just kidding. The first guest that we've got, special ghost, is going to be... Um, he is a man, a human man. He's got his very own moonshine. He is the famous writer, Eric Lamoureux. Hello, Eric. Shit applause. Famous. Wow. I got, like, three people that know me, so... And they're all here. Famous, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And the second guest is um, none other than the half goblin, half man. It is Richard Wilcock, all the way from Germany. He's the writer of the best damn goblin game of 2017. Hello, Richard. You're going to get a single clap from everyone. Let's see if we can do it at the same time. Three, two, one. Well, uh, thank you very much. just broke it. Thank you for the clap. (laughs) That's all right, man. That's all right, mate. That's better Thanks than a bit. regular applause. But it's good to have you both on here. And today, what we're going to be talking about is how to come up with ideas for adventures and that sort of shit, ideas for campaigns, and how we come up with ideas and how we do. And that's why we've got two very um, seasoned writers and clever people on here, because Nick and I, we can't do it, can we? We've never even come up with an idea. What is an idea? No do idea, you... mate. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, we might as well get the fuck on with it. So, first of all, um, we will start with um, Richard Richard Wilcock. You, you've written for... Um, Savage Worlds, a amazing goblin game called Saga of the Goblin Horde, and obviously you've written loads of bloody adventures for it. So, um, as you mentioned before, uh, the edit I just made, um, we, <laughs> you, you, you've um, written about your, you've written some notes about your inspirations and stuff like this. So, how did you do it, Richard? Question, professional question. Well. Um... Yeah, so each of the adventures was inspired by a number of different things, but um, they, they mainly drew their inspiration from, well, each of them drew their inspiration mainly from one particular thing. So um, I'll just go through the, the Goblin adventures I've written, which is Sanguine Solstice was the first one, of course. Uh, and the idea of that was simply that the goblins are attacking a human town. That was it. Uh, the main difference in this case, of course, was that the players were the goblins, which back then was a bit, a bit of a, a novel idea, at least for Savage Worlds. And of course, I put in the Christmas theme as well because it was released at Christmas. Uh, but that was that was a pretty basic premise for the first adventure. The second one, uh, Bone of Contention, that was I, I always had the idea of having undead ninja nuns. I thought they'd make a great enemy. I thought, you know, how can I try and put undead ninja nuns into an adventure? Of course. So I, I literally read everything around that. And in fact, um, things that you see in the main setting, like the uh, the bone diggers and so on, are all as a direct result of that idea. So, uh, so the third adventure was Egg Hunt on Drive Through RPG. There was a, a rabbit woman, and I thought that was a hilarious picture. So I decided to turn it into an Easter-themed adventure. Uh, Samhain Surprise was the, the fourth one. There was once again that was a piece of stock art. It was a pumpkin golem, and um, I thought, yeah, that would make a great um, Halloween adventure. So I just built it all around that. Uh, the fifth adventure, Root of the Problem, was another piece of stock art. That was the knight riding on a horseradish, which I thought was freaking hilarious, and I had to write an adventure for that. Yes. And the whole idea of goblins hating vegetables was a direct result of that particular piece of artwork. So I kind of a lot of these adventures then kind of went back into the into the setting itself, and the 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 stories that are built around the adventures ended up making the setting itself. So Slay Heist was the sixth adventure. That was um, the goblin riding on a rocket, which I thought was pretty hilarious. It was, it was a sort of a goblin dressed in a Santa outfit with a sack over his shoulder. So I turned that into another Christmas-themed one-sheet. Uh, Hot Water was the um, seventh adventure. 
Uh, interestingly, that actually drew the inspiration from a map drawn by Frank Tufler. He drew a, a map. He, he does a lot of uh, battle maps, and one particular map, he put a comment saying, oh, this was uh, something to do with goblins, and he, he wrote some ideas for a, a brief adventure, well, really just, just a, a setting a scene, and asked if anyone had any ideas for how they could turn that into a full adventure. So I just decided to do that. Uh, Can of Worms was the next one, <clears throat> which was actually inspired by uh, an idea. I was trying to outdo myself with all these weird adventures that I'd done before. Um, <clears throat> so I thought, what's the craziest thing I could come up with? And it was uh, a bunch of goblins on hang gliders fighting a dragon over a volcano. And it ended up turning turning the hang gliders into ornithopters, but the same the same general idea remained. And uh, worm food, of course, which was inspired by your comments, Harrison, on oh, Facebook, yeah. I think, and on Google Plus, where you kept talking about how being eaten by a giant worm made you hard. <laughs> so this, this inspired the idea. <clears throat> this inspired the idea of you know the this worm food adventure, which was uh, an an appropriately hard mission for an inappropriately hard goblin. <laughs> I can't. Nice. The thing is, I don't remember saying that, but it just as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, "Yeah, that sounds like something I would say." Yeah, it also drew inspiration from the Oglaf comic strip. I don't know if you've seen that. There's a, one of the comic strips in there. Uh, this this king, and he's, you know, he's saying that he wants to drink wine from the skull of his enemies, but the wine keeps pouring out of the eye sockets. Oh yeah. So he says, "Okay, find me an enemy with no eyes." So eventually they find him this giant worm and he kills it and cuts off his head and realizes he's got no skull. <laughs> so that, that was that was another part of the inspiration for that. So yeah, that's, that's, that's basically the idea for the various uh, one-sheets I've done, at least for Cyber Robin Hood. So really I would say that the main three sources were either uh, stock art, a crazy idea, or, you know, like, well, Something just just some just some random thing like a comic strip or a map or something like that. When you're because you're obviously trying to um, release your adventures to the public and things like this, it kind of um, it means that you want to have some often want to have some art to go along with it, and as a result, your your idea will be birthed from the fact that you'll go, hey, this is a cool piece of art, and then um, what adventure would go along with that, and it's not. A bad idea for um, people listening, if you're even if you're coming up with adventures and things like this, to use that um, sort of way of um, coming up with ideas for your games as well, because um, there are quite a lot of people that do that with um, maps and things like that as well. Because I've often uh, found that I'll come up with situations and come up with adventures, and then realise that there are no maps available to fit it, and then have to draw my own. But um, what um, Zovia said recently is, why don't you just download maps and then come up with adventures that fit those maps? And it's the same thing, I suppose, that you do with your your art, where, you, where you'll find a cool piece of art and then be like, oh yeah, well, I could do an adventure that fits around this, and then that, that way it's completely appropriate for that yeah, piece I of mean, art. I, I actually created pretty much my entire history uh, in Cyber the Goblin Horde that exact way. So I found a bunch of pictures of monsters that I thought were cool, and then I just made up monsters around those pictures. And but, I but doing it for doing it for the adventures, as you pointed out, that that's a very good way of doing it because it means you you definitely got some artwork that fits. But there's also the fact that often a picture can really give you some ideas because you, you know if you want to write an adventure, you have to start somewhere, and if you start looking at all these like, pieces of cool artwork, and some of them are really weird. Mm. And just looking at that artwork can can make you think, you know, what what could that, you know, what what could that be? The like the centerpiece of an adventure, you know, how could that be part of the adventure? How would this, you know, this strange knight on the back of a a horseradish, you know, be part of a story? What you know, what could we build around that? And I think it's really cool to just show your players that as well, because I I ran that adventure for my mates and I showed them that picture and they were they were literally just like, what the fuck. And that's that's exactly what you want. <laughs> yeah. But um, so you mentioned as well that you sort of um, came up with the idea of that you definitely wanted undead ninja nuns in there. Yeah. Where the fuck did that come from? Was it a dream? Had you taken something? Night out on the beers. Yeah. You, no, you too many fantasy. Too... Sorry. <laughs> it's just this yeah. thing. No, the, the, always, people would always talk about things like, for example, you have like 
pirates and ninjas and robots and zombies and things. And people try to combine two of those. They say, like, you know, they want to have robot pirates or ninja <laughs> zombies or whatever. And, and I thought I wanted to combine three together. Uh, actually, but having said that, there was partial inspiration was, uh, I guess, the, the movie Braindead. Oh, yeah. That? The Peter like Jackson for the Lord, classic. You know? the, the Splatterhouse classic. Yeah. The, yeah, so, so you've got the, the that vicar that's um, fighting the zombies with his martial arts. Yeah. Um, so that was, I guess that was part of it. Also, there was a, a friend of mine who, in a role-playing game, his character was a, a nun. But she was really, really violent, and she had big, like, lots of big guns, and she was really aggressive. So I guess just, just a couple of different concepts that I just thought, you know, Something particularly crazy would be to have some undead ninja nuns. They'd be quite memorable. Absolutely. That was it. Well, I played that adventure as well, and it was it was awesome. As soon as um, because I I hadn't read the adventure before we actually played it, and so as soon as they rose out of the grave and started killing people, um, I was like, okay, so you see the uh, some undead nuns rise out of the grave, and all the players were like, oh shit, right, right, let's get behind some cover, let's start firing at them or whatever. And then, as soon as I said, okay, they attack with, okay, some martial arts. And the, the players were like, what the fuck? And I'm like, one of them throws a shuriken at you. And they were like, what the fuck? It was brilliant. So, yeah. Catches them off guard, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. In fact, I remember you, you talked about that and you said that, that in your adventure that the shurikens were shaped like crosses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. And I actually, I actually took that idea that you mentioned and I, when, I, when I ran that adventure recently, I actually added that into it. As a nice. <laughs> so, thanks for that. So Eric, how about you? Um, you you're a, you're an ideas man. You come up with ideas on the regular basis, like that idea you had to start a meth lab. Where did you get that idea? But <laughs> additionally, for RPGs, um, how do you come up with your ideas, and how do you um, have such good ones on the reg? Theft? Uh, good ones. Well, theft. Yeah, I steal. I steal from everybody, basically. Uh, inspiration. <laughs> I mean, I, I have a job where. Uh, it's very routine, or it used to be, at least for the longest time. I, I sort of I have a different position now, but where I knew my job, it was really routine, so my mind would just wander all the time. And for me, it all starts with a what if, because I try to put myself in in the player's position when I design venture, because I'm I ask myself. All right, if I were a, pr a player, what would I enjoy, you know, facing <laughs> in an adventure? And this is where it starts. I'll start with just one idea with what if, uh, like at some point, one of the first ones I've written that, and I got published, it was what if there was something sp special about a um, energy drink? Because you guys know I drink those like crazy. <laughs> and it all started from there. And then once I have an idea like this and I said, well, that's interesting. Then I do this mental exercise where I start asking myself all kinds of questions. Basically, just a bunch of whys. Why would this be there? What would the characters have to do with that? And why would they be motivated to do that? And then I go down this list of questions and sometimes I reach a dead end where nothing makes sense. There's plot holes all over and it just goes nowhere. At that point, I ditch that idea and then I wait till I get another one and then I, I do the same mental exercise until I'm satisfied with it. And I say, well, this is this could work. This makes sense. It holds up. And if I were a player, I would like to play this. So the, this is basically, in a nutshell, what I do. I used to um, work a lot of mundane jobs and uh, I know this, that you did as well. Nick, is you're in a similar position, Nick, where you used to work a job where you could do it with your hands tied behind your head and your head cut off. Um, and it was like you'd have a lot of time to think. And I used to do the same thing where I'd, I would just literally just think through an idea and you like probably 98% of the time get to a dead end. But then 2% of the time you'd have absolute gold. And it's like yeah. that is what it is. It's, it's mostly just thinking through it. If, as, if you're coming up with a completely original idea... Yeah, that is what it is like most of the time. I remember yeah. one time um, 
when I was writing uh, f- uh, something uh, w- with with you, Eric, and it was well something uh, that you were helping me on, and I came up with an idea that I thought was gold, and and like I, I was just like, yeah, this is amazing, and um, it was four punted in the bonds, and it was the first idea for the adventure that I had, and I brought it to you, and you were just like. The whole idea was that the players would find these jewels that a gangster dropped, right? And then they would have to sort of have two days to find a fence to try and um, try and sell them off. And Eric was like, yeah, but wouldn't they just be scared of the gangster and go and give it back? I was like, oh, yeah. And I'd spent like maybe hours thinking of that. And I was just like, yeah, this is wicked, bruv. And it was it was rubbish. It didn't work like in any way. <laughs> but like it, it happens. And like you said, it's just getting to that gold. And a lot of time it is just thinking about it. But yeah it's spot on well, yeah the the main thing the main thing for me is what well, what is good for me and i mean there are thousands of designers out there adventure writers and they have different ideas of what is good and what works and what's acceptable but for me it's about putting the players in a novel position something a situation they've never faced and then having to give them tough choices between Mm -hmm. you know what they're going to do you can't if there's an easy choice of what they want to do it's it's not good in my opinion if it's obvious what they're going to do with it you're not i mean it will work it'll be decent but if you want a good adventure you want to give them a tough choice like i just worked on an adventure called uh, fallen star that uh, you and nick were kind enough to uh, help me play test while in that adventure it's an investigation adventure and it's i mean you can go around and ask questions that's that's the easy part but the twist with that adventure is that the more noise you make during that investigation the harder it might get to solve it at the end there's going to be people that are going to get uh, in your way so that this makes this makes it interesting to me and I just go with that and uh, write it and make it, yeah, hard choices. There are different games, too. While I write mostly for Savage Worlds, I've I've read uh, a bunch of Powered by the Apocalypse and even Cypher, and I've, I've got most of my the structure, I would say, nar- narrative structure to my adventure from these two systems where you give people, you know, tough choices about what they're going to do. So while it's a Savage Worlds adventure, uh, mostly the structure is from Powered by the Apocalypse, where you come up with the threats, the main threats for your adventure, and then you figure out what the motivations are for the main actors. And once you have that, it becomes fairly easy to put everything together. And it's easier for the GM, too, if you're writing. Uh, They know this guy will do this in this situation. He's willing to go this far. And then there's the players are in the middle of this and they have to solve it. So... Do you um, find that there's any difference between the sort of ideas that you'll come up with for adventures if you're um, doing doing something professionally? And this is for both of you, um, Richard and Eric, if you're writing professionally versus if you're just doing it for fun. Want to answer that first, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> well, not really, because even when I'm writing for fun, I try and you know make them as good as I can. Uh, one thing I will say, though, is that the the Saga of the Goblin Horde adventures tend to follow a very rigid structure. So I, I have them, they all, they've all got five scenes, and they're very linear, and each each scene is based around a particular game mechanic. I, I don't I don't always do adventures like that, but I do do them for the Saga of the Goblin Horde. And in fact, the, the one freelance adventure I've written, which was for the Accursed setting, also does follow that structure, but that was because John Dunn actually wanted me to create one like that for the Accursed setting. Uh, but if you look at the, for example, the ones I've done for Drakenheim, uh, one of those does follow that sort of structure, but the other one is very freeform. And then the other one, I've, what I've done is I've set out like a number of uh, like a number of scenes, a number of things that have happened, a number of people, and it's really kind of up to the GM to decide how it all comes together. 
And sometimes, you know, if I'm writing adventures, which I'm kind of making up on the fly, I will I, I follow a structure which is basically that I define an opening scene. I define three particular plots, which are things that are going on. So it could be maybe uh, a certain guy is doing something, maybe some people are going missing, maybe there's been some murders recently. So it's three little plots like that, and then three NPCs that are important to the story. And so from three plots, three NPCs, and an opening scene, and from that, the rest of it is just made up as it go along. But um, but for the for the most of the one sheets I've written, and also for the all of the cycle of the Goblin Hall stuff, it intentionally follows this very rigid structure. But um, so I haven't really answered your question, have I? Well, I as I said, I think I don't really treat them differently if I'm if I'm writing for someone or if I'm writing for myself. But I would if I was writing for someone else find out what sort of structure they wanted because there's different ways to do it. In the, in the past, for example, I've, I've used a kind of a, a nine scene structure, which is kind of um, three sets of three. So like each three parts of the adventure, each split into three subparts. But there's, there's all sorts of different ways to do it. Um, uh, yeah, so if, if I, really, if I'm doing it for myself, then I do what, what I fancy doing. If I'm doing it for someone else, then um, I would find out what type of adventure they want. But to be honest, I'm not really much of an adventure writer. Although I've, I've written quite a few of them, yeah. it's, not really my, it's not really my strong suit, you know. I, no, have really, I... I have to really push myself to write, to write these things. I, I, I'm more of a games mechanics person. So. Mm. That's, it's weird that you say that, because your adventures are some of the best. But yeah, it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Can agree yeah, but, but they, they are very railroady. But the way I get around that is actually in the in the setting book, I, I explain that these are supposed to be kind of the missions that the chief has sent you on. And it's up to the GM then to to let the players outside of these adventures to choose what they want to do mm. and then kind of like react rather than force them into certain things. So Fair then enough. you have like the main event, the main adventures, which are the bosses saying, go and do this, go and kill this guy, go and collect this thing, go and make me some omelets. And and then you've got um, <laughs> that was my other, favorite adventure. Yeah, dragon omelets. <laughs> yeah, and but then outside of that, the idea is that the the players can say, okay, now we've got some time to ourselves. We want to go and explore this, or we want to go and raid these these settlements over here. So so it's it's kind of um, yeah. So you do have the rigid missions, but the idea is then the gym can give players more freedom outside of that. And for the for the more freeform ones, I think it's better not to define those really, but rather just to throw lots of seeds out there, like uh, adventure seeds and um, just general information about rumours and things that are going on so that the GM has, has enough information that they can kind of build their own adventure around what the players are trying to do. Hmm. I've got to say, like, if um, Saga of the Goblin Horde, it's one of the most, um, when you can really, if you, it's a game that made me really feel like I could let loose the most, it, like, out of a lot of games I've played. It's, it's, it doesn't feel like that at all. Like, I don't know, there's something so fun about being a goblin that you really can just really let loose in that game it's it's, it's hilarious to play. Well, we tended to play um savage worlds one shots when we are winding down for a big campaign mm -hmm. I mean, it is a little bit off topic but we tended to do that because remember we played saga of the goblin horde and aliens versus rednecks which is you know a bit sycophantic because it is literally an adventure that eric and i wrote together <laughs> so it's a bit sad but yeah we played that and it was pretty funny because it was like you guys playing as a bunch of goblins um sort of tearing shit up and then you were playing as a bunch of aliens and you were trying to kidnap this girl and it was like just pure chaos hilarious so it was yep. good fun but eric, mm -hmm. how, <coughs> eric how about you um do you find that there's a difference in the the sort your sort of main ideas when you're writing professionally uh, versus when you're doing it just for mates? Well, I, I'm in a position where I mostly write for just insert imagination mm. where I have a lot of creative freedom, but I've also uh, written as a freelancer where I've received very uh, specific instructions. And th this is where it, it it's different, of course, because you have to work within what the publisher wants you to write. Uh, and yeah. in some cases, it was really difficult. And in some cases, it was fairly easy, depending on the creative freedom you, you have. But I've also um, studied lit literature and I've 
had many creative writing classes where I, I find that once you give me certain parameters for what I need to write, it funnels my creativity better and I can I can write better and it, and that's something that when I write for just insert imagination in most cases I don't have I have to funnel my own creativity somehow uh, and I, I think it gives a better output that way um, so yeah I would say that's the difference is it you know sometimes it's easier sometimes it's harder it, it depends you know just one thing that actually came to mind is um, uh, I think one of the big difficulties with writing for another person um, is much much the same way as if you're writing for say a famous uh, setting like say if you, if you were writing a Star Wars uh, like a Star Wars adventure or a Star Trek the cannons yeah. exactly the fact is that you have to really know that that background mm -hmm. and um, you know if, if you know for example if you if you get somebody that writes a, a Star Wars conversion, and they get something slightly wrong, then the Star Wars fans are going to rip them apart. Oh, yeah. And it, 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 it's not quite the same thing, but, but, you know, for example, when I wrote the adventure for the Accursed setting, even though I was fairly familiar with the setting, I had to incorporate a lot of the new material that had just been, you know, released. So I was having to go through all of the, all of the, sort of the background stuff, trying to, you know, Make sure I hadn't missed anything. Make sure I hadn't messed anything up. Make sure I hadn't made any assumptions or f missed out anything. You know, so, so I had to make sure that the creatures properly fit with the setting and and so on and so forth. So, so in that respect, and do a lot more sometimes. research if you if you're going to write for someone else or if you're going to write for an established setting. Well, that was even the trouble that I had when I I thought when I was um we were starting this podcast, I was so worried about getting any tiny detail wrong. That I was, I thought, because I thought people were going to tear us apart. Like if we said D twenty instead of D twelve, that people would just go nuts. It, yeah, it, when it, when I started, then then working on doing writing and and converting Pathfinder and uh, Winter Eternal to Pathfinder and stuff like this, that I was it was nerve wracking because I was just like, well, D and D nerds or Pathfinder nerds, you know, it's th those people can be the sort of people that will tear you apart, but there's nothing worse than yeah. canon nerds when it comes to Star Wars and things like this. So yeah, <laughs> never. Even if even if somebody offered me a million bucks, no, because I know that people would turn up at my house and actually firebomb me. If I if I fucking I don't know what what is the Delorean? Is that in Star Wars? I don't know if I got that wrong. Come round with homemade lightsabers. Yeah, oh, what's that? No, that's Star Trek, isn't it? I think so. And it's, it's one of the two. But anyway, yeah. Lord of the Star Rings. <laughs> well, one of the things that, that I think is that whenever I'm... If I'm doing something that I know is going to be seen by the public, on the Wild Dive, for instance, recently, we did our one-sheet settings. And I did make something that was absolutely nuts because I did a one-sheet of um, uh, Kitchen Nightmares USA. And the thing is, is that... That was that was like a bit nuts, but versus what I make for just my mates, that's completely different because that I I I will completely let loose, and I know I'm making it just for those six people. So it's like it is something that's completely tailored and authored to them. So it's like I will always try my best, and will always do the best that I can to make like a really decent product. But like, it's never the sort of thing I would ever put out there. Like, um. I think Ryan, one of our players, was like, "Oh, Harrison, you should put this shit on the internet, mate. It's well good." And I'm like, "No, never. It's it's awful. Like it is awful. It's objectively awful." But the thing is, these six guys love it. We that recorded loads of our old games, didn't we? And we we like we listened to a few of the old like snippets from it. We was like, "This can never be broadcast." <laughs> some of it's nuts. It's just nuts. I mean, at the moment, we like. And this moves me on to like another uh, point because like the the thing is at the moment. One of the ideas I had was that I wanted to kind of do um, a a campaign based on Majora's Mask, which is a Zelda game. And the idea of that is that there's this uh, moon, big moon with a face on it that's about to destroy this fantasy village. And every time it destroys the village, time rewinds by three days. And only the hero is the the only one that can perceive time going back. So he can remember, he has all his memories and he has all his items and he can go and do repeat the three days again and affect stuff and do different stuff 
And I thought that would be cool if the protagonists were doing that, but I'm doing it in a cyberpunk setting, so how would that work in a cyberpunk setting? Well, it'd have to be technology instead of magic, right? And blah, blah, blah. So that's how I came up with the idea. It's plagiarism, but it's like done in a way where I've applied it to an alternate setting. And I like to do that often because, I don't know, it seems slightly more creative than just um, wholesale nicking an idea and doing it kind of thing. Rather than saying, we're we're playing Um, Savage Majora's Mask. (laughs) <laughs> well, you, you touch on something here because, sorry, Richard, um, you mentioned writing or designing an adventure for your group or to publish for a bunch of people. And that that's where the challenge is, is that you have to be, it, it has to appeal to a larger audience uh, mm-hmm. and you can't tailor it for specific characters unless... Like we do over just insert imagination, you tailor it for some pregens that you design yourself, and that's where it gets easier. But it, it's all it's still it's still difficult, and it's a hit or miss. And at some point, you have to just say, "I can't just um, obsess over this." I just it, do. I feel it's good. Uh, are people saying it's good? Then, well, it's good enough. Uh, you know, or you can't put a poll up there and say, "Is that a good idea or not?" And then have your ideas shut down. It, it just doesn't work that way. And everybody writes their adventure different. And there's enough out there to appeal to everybody. Everybody's gonna f- find something that works for them. Mm. Yeah, I think the actually. Your, your idea about pre-gens is a, is a really, really good one. Um, in fact, it reminds me of an adventure called Lady Blackbird. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. It's I heard of the game, yeah. It's supposed to be one of, the, one of the best mini RPGs there is around. It's basically an adventure with some pre-gens, and it's, it's really short. Um, but it's, it's a really cool little story. It's worth checking out. Um, but uh, what point I wanted to make earlier, actually, was that you were talking about the difference between stuff that I produce for other people and stuff that I produce for myself. But really, I think you're talking about three categories of things here because there's also the stuff that I do for my own private group, which I, I treat. So, so one thing is if I'm if I'm producing something for someone else to publish, like with the Accursed Adventure, and that that's one kind of level of things. That the next level will be the stuff that I'm producing, which I then release myself, like the Saga of the Goblin Hall stuff. But then there's also the things that I would do with my own private group, which would never be released to the public. Yeah, that's also those, what I mean. Yeah. I will brutally rip off other things. So, so yeah, you know, kind of the idea. So the difference between inspiration and art, you are basically, it's, it's fine to copy from lots of sources, but if you copy from just one source, then it's theft. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I will brutally steal as long as I'm not actually distributing it to anyone else. Exactly. So um, a good example would be. Um, when I, I ran like a long-term campaign and I started running short of ideas, so I just used to start stealing from whatever TV shows I happened to be watching recently. And oh, yeah. um, one of my favourites was yep. um, uh, Jonathan Creek. I don't know if you've seen any of those. Yep. Yeah, of course. And and they're, they're really good. I really enjoy those. And it, it, it worked fine for a while because, you know, I'm British, it's a British series, and I'm living in Germany, so none of my players had seen it. But then we had a, a, an English guy that joined the group, and he just finished watching all the episodes back to back. Oh. And I, I didn't know, so I ran this adventure, and he oh. immediately knew. <laughs> Called you a bit out. Silly after that, yeah. So I had to be a bit, a bit more careful after that, a bit more subtle. But yeah, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of the TV shows, and a lot of the films, a lot of the books and things that I read, I, I draw ideas from those. But if I'm running it just for my own group, then I will just lift the whole thing. If I'm if I'm confident they haven't seen it or read it. Then I'll just I'll just regurgitate the whole lot. Why not? You know, no, no one else. Is yeah, absolutely. It, so. Well, yeah. I, I mean, think... we did um, in the campaign that we're running at the moment, Bubblegum Crisis. I mean, that is literally a setting based on an anime that that uh, me and one of the other players had seen and watched it quite exhaustively. And James, uh, one of the other players at the table, whenever we would play it, he'd keep on saying things like like alluding to the anime where he'd be like can't we go and get your bike fixed by Mackie and I'd be like well your player wouldn't know that he doesn't know that Mackie's a mechanic and then we'd be like <laughs> he'd be like oh well um, I saw him with a radio earlier and we'd be like no mate so it's like things like that but I always start off by saying 
if I if it is wholesale like lifting the fucking thing and ripping it off, I will just say, yeah, characters and events won't happen the same as they did in the series. But I'll try and rip it off in a way where it's not um, exactly the thing. So well, I remember Oops. when we did uh, our GURPS campaign, uh, which was in space, I did a lot of like so that I didn't have to bother creating my own alien races. I just picked and choose them from uh, Mass Effect. Picked a couple from Star Wars, a couple from Rick and Morty, like all of my favourite ones. It was like the greatest hits of Alien Races, basically. Yeah, exactly. That's the beauty of it. I think constant input really helps with the imagination when you want to write stuff as well. Like my my zombie game that I was doing, I I got a lot. Of, I love zombie um, literature and read a lot and stuff and borrowed from the passage and things like that. But <clears throat> The beauty of our hobby is that you can, if you watch something that's really good on TV or you watch a good series or a film or reading a decent book and it's just a small part from it, you just read. And because you've got that RPG player or creator's mind now, you just kind of look at it a little bit differently and you think, how good would that be if you then introduced rural people into that situation and see how it played out? So you just you can even just pinch small things from lots of different sources just for your daily life and then just kind of mold it into this kind of cool game or parts of a game or just a situation that your characters might come into. Yeah, like um, I even um, had that one character, Linda. Do, do you, I don't know if you know the um, series Nighty Night, Richard. <laughs> uh, it's a really dark comedy um, made by Julia Davis and it's... Uh, yeah, I went next to this character, Linda, from that and just stuck her in the vampire game because I didn't have an NPC ready. And it's just a dark comedy about a hairdresser in, like, northern England. But it's, it, that's all it is. It has nothing to do with vampires, but I just stuck this one character in there because I was just like, I need an NPC. I mean, that's yeah. like... Honestly, in, in our personal games, like, that's 90% of where I draw inspiration from is just shit that I'm watching at the time. It's nothing original. Mm -hmm. I think like, most players do that, but, like... I think with coming up with original ideas, like for published stuff, with Punted in the Bonds, for example, which I did for Just Insert Imagination with Eric and Mornay's help, like that was, I drew inspiration from like a load of different places. But like you said, um, Richard, it has to come from quite a few places, otherwise it is just theft, you know. And <laughs> for me, that was loads of stuff, but it was sort of like. Um, a bunch of inspiration from loads of other places with an original adventure chucked in. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like, like you said, Eric, a lot of thinking about stuff mainly is is what it is. Just sitting there thinking because I'm. Oh, uh, I yeah, I I don't think there's anything shameful about using things from daily life or pop culture. I mean, inspiration has to come from somewhere. So uh, even the, the people you think you're stealing from, well, they probably stole it from someone else too. They got their ideas, you know, <laughs> somewhere. Uh, the thing that I am shameful a bit about though is that there are some adventures I've written that I would not run myself. Well, actually, Think, uh, not quite, Eric, because um, uh, if you'd have let me finish, Punted in the Bonds was inspired by the Bible, which, in fact, was not um, ripped off by anything. That was the first book. All right. The and the best one. <laughs> yeah. You know, number Isn't one. Isn't it a bunch of apostles that their own interpretation of what happened? Isn't that what the Bible is? And most of them lived like long after jesus was whoa 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 okay guys <laughs> let's not te let's not tear apart my favorite novel i mean okay. the biggest hoax in history <laughs> Le leave jesus alone live action role playing watch your thunderbolt uh, three thousand in a critical thunder, dark out critical thunder thunder Thy arts art slain. We're talking about um, drawing inspiration from multiple sources. Actually, I would like to quickly just mention the uh, the adventure I wrote for the Accursed setting. Um, it drew inspiration from um, British folklore and Greek mythology, but also from aliens and chess. <laughs> what? You can really you can draw inspiration from like a wide range of different sources. Yeah, I think personal experience can always help with uh, with inspiration as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like, like I said, I I base a lot of NPCs on people that I work with, just because you fucking.
Alright, that's it. I'm saying it on the, um, on the podcast, right? Because my wife's flashing her ass at me to try and distract me. <laughs> so now everyone's going to know that, Millie. I'm leaving that in. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah, it has worked, right? I'm having a really serious conversation all about inspiration. You've just <laughs> you've just derailed everything. Go away! Go the time. fuck away! Oh no, no! Doesn't she have some acorns to stitch or something? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, mate, she infuriates me. Right. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, everyone. Sorry, the listening audience. Trying to do a proper podcast. We've had two guests on here, and she's just—I t- I don't know—I've completely lost my train of thought there. <laughs> I've got a stiffy. No. Um. So, what were you saying, Richard? Something about testament. What? <laughs> you were talking about. Wait, testament. you. You're talking about oh, yes. your, your biblical game. Wait, how did you get inspiration the, uh, from chess? The inspiration that I drew upon, which was the uh, British folklore on Greek mythology and chess. How did you get inspiration from chess for a goblin game? No, 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 this was for the no, no. setting. Oh, right, sorry, never mind. And the reason being because um, um, basically uh, John Dunne wanted the adventure to uh, be based around the Dark Queen, who was one of the witches in a cursed setting. I'm the so um, I thought, okay, what can I what can I think of that's a, a good name for the adventure? I thought, okay, Queen's Gambit is a move in chess. So Dark Queens, it's called Dark Queen's Gambit. And then I kind of added a twist, which is based on like the idea of, a, of the Queen's Gambit in chess, which is kind of like a, a fame. That is pretty cool. Copying <laughs> from lots of different sources. <laughs> Ketchup, barbecue sauce. Well, yeah, you could build an adventure around barbecue sauce. In fact, I challenge you to think up an adventure based around HP sauce. On it. Easy. Easy. All right, here we go. Uh, there's a man terrorizing the city, and he's known as HP Sauce Man. And he goes into banks, and he squirts HP sauce into people's eyes, and then goes into the vault and steals the money. You, as the superheroes, with a low budget... Can you find HP Source Man? You've got five dollars to become a superhero with. Can you become Cardboard Box Man? Or perhaps Knives Boy? Plastic Knives Boy? Yeah, Plastic Knives Boy. Or perhaps, I don't know, Honey Packets Man. Man. (laughs) Spork Man. Goblin Boy, stay back! I am no goblin, I am a wizard! I dined in the halls of kings with kings! Now I live with... Fucking plats in a hut. So, uh, any closing thoughts, everyone? Well, nobody, nobody works in a vacuum. Nobody designs in a vacuum. So, just steal from everyone, but don't steal from just one person. Treat the ideas like a buffet, basically. Make sure yeah. that if you are stealing, make sure it's not from things that your players have uh, seen or watched or read. Or just change it, and then that flips it on them, and they think they know what they're doing, and then you do a huge twist that's got nothing to do with the story they think it is, and then they're all like. Oh, well, so you're okay. saying if you sit down and play Batman and all your players know Batman inside out, change it so it's Batman Bat. <laughs> well, he's got like a pet bat. <laughs> so he's Batman with a sidekick of a no, bat. No, it's That'd a little cool. baseball bat on legs with a face on it. It could be Bat Bat. So he's a bat <laughs> yeah, he dresses up as another bat. He's half bat. He's <laughs> around saving bats. With a bat. <laughs> And his tagline is, it's just not cricket. Half bat, half bat, or man. Genius. Eric, what about you, man? Any closing tips? I think it's always to keep in mind who you're writing your adventure for, uh, who are the the characters in that story. I think it, it it's easier once, once you know that. Um, also... Uh, yeah, think outside the box. Um, try to put your the players in a situation they've never been faced with before. Because a lot of times, especially with with veteran groups that have been playing for you know fifteen, twenty, 20 years, they've seen it all. Um, throw a monkey wrench in there, make them make them feel like it's their their first time playing. So throw a monkey wrench in there. So you do it literally if you want. I mean that that might that will really shit them up. I mean, will they? <laughs> Twenty five years of gaming. I guarantee that's never happened. <laughs> Just launch it out from behind but the, the we, ball. 
I think that, that applies even to smaller situations. So I think I can't remember who it was. Might have been Spoonie said something like, e- "Even if you've got the most simplest of encounter and you're really phoning it in that day and you can't be bothered, and you just go, you guys are going along in your wagon and a bunch of bandits jump out the bushes and go, give us your gold." Uh, then do something to spice it up. Just say, oh, it's raining, or one of the bandits is a goblin with an eye patch. Just do something to spice it up. Like Eric said, think outside the box, keep it original. The players always run with it anyway. So. Yeah, exactly. And then just throw a monkey wrench at them, and if it knocks them I'm out done. and they don't remember that you did a shit encounter, then, you know, win-win. They really. won't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's happy. So that's that's it. So Eric says throw some uh, objects at them, and Richard says do bat bat. The man who's half bat, half bat, all man, with a wooden bat. Exactly. I think we've come up with some really good tips here today, guys. Well, nice. you two have. Nick and I have talked rubbish. <laughs> yeah, as always. Um. So thank you very much for coming on. You know what we should have done? So we should have asked people for questions for these two guys. These are the biggest guests we've ever had on here. And that's we've, true. Actually, we've yeah, wasted it. Like- huge celebrities and we haven't even done any kind of okay whoops oh uh oh actually uh this just comes in from uh linda from america she says what's your favorite book This will be the last question, then you can go, I promise. I mean, it's the first question, actually, because it came from Linda just now. Richard, what's your favourite book from Linda in America? Uh, the big one. The big book? <laughs> yep. That's such a Sorry. rubbish answer. It was a rubbish question. <laughs> no, it wasn't. Oh, come on. That's really insulting to Linda. Well, how do you think she's going to feel? <laughs> she's not even a real person. Come on. Shut up. That uh, And now you're questioning her existence. She's going to feel even worse. Just oh. answer the question, man. What's your favourite book? Um, I don't actually have a favourite book. I read a lot of books. I don't really have any favourite ones. What one are you reading at the moment? Um, It's called Badder. Ooh. Okay. Is it good? Is it nice? It's alright. It's a superhero type, type book. So it is, there's, there's a whole load in the series... And it's, yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's just something I read when I'm on the train. Fair enough. And Eric, how about you? Favourite book? That comes from Linda, who's definitely real, Richard. I think that was very mean. I didn't know you were such a bully. Well, uh, Linda... Um... Yes! She's here now. <laughs> I've read, I've read <laughs> so many books, Linda, but I would say probably my favourite one, because I've read it uh, more than once, would be The Lord of the Rings Uh I don't know if I would read it these days, but I think I've read it maybe four times over the years, so it has to be uh, has to be good. Very good. That's a good. See, that's a good answer. That oh, that also is the big one because it's quite big. If you put them all together, it's a big book. So thank you very much, Linda, for messaging in. Who is definitely real? Yeah, Rose. thanks, Linda from England. Everyone. Would, oh, America. I, yeah. I would love to meet you, Linda. And, yeah, yeah send in your yeah, send in your email or phone number and we'll get in touch. Oh, uh, <laughs> actually, I did have her email address because she emailed in, but it's just gone. I don't know why. Anyway, what? thank you very much for you guys for coming on. Um, so do you want to plug anything while you're on here? Yeah, I, I can plug something. Um, just give me a cord and an appliance, and I'll plug it. I can do <laughs> that for you. <laughs> Um, no, I'm not talking about electrician work. What I mean is, is there anything you'd like to promote while you're on here? You're always, you've got a lot of projects. On ah, the promote. Okay, yeah, I, I, I think I take things quite literally sometimes. So Frenchman, yeah, excuse yeah. me. <laughs> well, the well, first, thanks for having me. It's been over a year, and you guys finally invited me. I was starting to be a bit, uh, you know, offended. It was only because you kept asking. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first, just a plug to another show on the network, the Wild Eye Podcast. We've been going strong for, it's going to be two years now in December, so it's been a while. And every two weeks we have an episode coming out, sometimes some bonus episodes too. And the last thing, well, just today, 
Night of the Living Dolls came out, the latest plug-and-play adventure from Just Insert Imagination, and uh, Morning and a lot of fun working on that. We had uh, a friend of ours playtesting it with his children, so it's very family-friendly, but it, it, it can also turn into uh, a very adult uh, <laughs> <laughs> theme game if you wanted to, so uh, go check it out. It's pay-what-you-want. Uh, if you like it, come back and drop us a, a few dollars, a few pounds, a few uh, a few shillings, Ruples. or ruby rupees. Yeah, rupees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it looks awesome. So yeah, check out Night of the Living Dolls and The Wild Die, everyone listening. And uh, Richard, how about you? What would you like to promote or plug? Uh, well, Star of the Golden Horde will be coming out in the next few days. Oh, I plan to release it God. at the end of this month. I'm just doing the, the last proofreading on it at the moment. So I'm not sure when you're planning to release this podcast, but I imagine it'll probably be out before you release your podcast. Unless you're doing it like tomorrow or something, it may well be. We don't. Uh, I'm probably not going to be doing it tomorrow. No, because um, I'm going to be wanking furiously. But we will be promoting Saga of the Gobl- Goblin Horde very, very, almost as furiously as that. So, um, <laughs> that yeah, furiously. <laughs> that furiously, yeah. I mean, it, it means a lot to us that game. We absolutely love it. it so we'll we'll be uh, we'll be promoting that, and we'll be putting a link to both of the Eric. Stop doing an impression of that. We'll be we'll be putting a link to both of those in the uh, in the um, description down there. Eric, that's so distracting. That this distract- is an audio medium, so this this isn't going to be. He's doing an impression of jerking it. This is so, why he can't come podcast. He's too hot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, thank you guys for for coming on. We'll put a link to both of those in the description. And this has been amazing. But do you know what? It's been all, all almost as as amazing as this, <laughs> Linda. <laughs> thank you, Linda, for the for the question. You know, she's amazing. What would you do without her? Exactly. All right. Thank you, everyone. Chicken McBosh. <laughs> <laughs>